you, you remember when Tybo was the phrase where everybody was karate chopping and things like that? I mean, you order that online, you do the, D, any of y'all do DDP to yoga, you know what I'm talking about? Diamond Dallas Page, and he does, how does a professional wrestler do yoga? But I'm going to in a moment of transparency, I ordered it and tried it. It did not work out, all right? And so, all that said and done, you have these periods of inactivity, and you, then you do something strenuous, and it feels good that first day, but the next afternoon or night or after or morning, you need a crane to get out of the bed. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Your whole body hurts. You find muscles you didn't know you had. You think you find muscles you thought left you, and they've come back now, and your whole body is like, stop, don't ever do this again. Y'all been there before? I mean, it is soreness. Crazy soreness. I've been working out with my son. I've mentioned this, um, and I'm not proud of it because my 14-year-old is kicking my tail. This past week, we had leg day, which I think is what happens when you go to hell. Satan says, get on the squat bar and do squats over and over again so that you can't get off the chair or the couch or the bed for the next six weeks, right? And so I'm doing squats with my son, and they, you know, you feel like, you know, you just feel really tough when you're doing it because the gym I'm working at, they're like put, they're putting chains on the bar, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, and then Cade's over there like, boom, 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 and I'm just like, oh, sweet Jesus, come quickly. You know, it's just one of those moments. And so that was Thursday. Today is Sunday, right? I had to pray every step to get, I mean, because when you do leg day, you're avoiding stairs, right? And I had to pray through every step. To get up on stage this morning several years ago my most embarrassing moment I tripped up on the last step my knees hit my face hit and went like this everybody looked at me and said oh, and the band laughed it was just one of those moments when you choose to move from a position of inactivity to activity soreness is going to happen when you choose to move from a position of spiritual inactivity and decide to grow stronger soreness is going to happen and many times soreness comes in the, in, the, in, the, in the framework of suffering. And 100% of the people on this planet and everybody that's walked on campus this morning can all relate to the fact that all of us endure hardship. Every person. You can't get past it. I've said this before. You're either coming out of a bad situation, going into a bad situation, or in the middle of one, right? All of us. You can't escape it. It's the nature of being, in a pla- being on a planet that is cursed by sin and death. We're all dealing with difficult times. The church that the author was writing to, who were formerly Christian, or were formerly Jewish and then became Christian, the book of Hebrews, they're a people that is a church that's dealing with difficult hardships and situations to the point where they want to quit. And all of us in this room, after that first day of working out, we want to quit, right? And most of us do. But God is making you stronger. Suffering has a purpose. Notice when we left off verse 3 last week, really that's all we discussed last week. Verse 3, the author writes this. He says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now I want, I want you to look at that again. Notice something. He's talking about Jesus and he's saying, when you're going through difficulties, consider Jesus who also went through difficulties. Do you see that? You ever looked up at God and said, why? Everybody say yes, we have. You ever looked up at God and said, why is this happening to me? Why am I dealing with this? How is this so unfair? By the way, fairness died in the Garden of Eden. There's no such thing anymore. We tell our children that all the time, and then we get the perpetual eye roll. But here's the thing. There's no such thing as fairness. Suffering happens. And if they did it to Jesus, what makes you think it's not going to happen to you? 
Now, notice the next verse here. Goes to verse 4. Verse 3 deals with the opposition of living in a world where we experience hardship. Verse 4 changes a little bit, and he says, In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. We have two different types of hardships that all of us go through. It's the life hardship, meaning circumstantial, things happen, people do stuff to us, right? And those are the negative things, people die, people come into your life. It's just life. It's just things you got to deal with. Then you have the hardship of temptation. And all of us struggle with that. I mean, it could be the temptation to drive faster than you should. It could be the temptation to look at something on the Internet you shouldn't. It could be the temptation to eat way too much. But the reality is we all deal with it. Here's what's so interesting about God. He did too. He dealt with opposition from people. He dealt with suffering on the cross and really in his entire life. And he dealt with temptation. The difference is he didn't, didn't fall into temptation like you and I. And also, we have not resisted temptation and opposition to the point, go back to that verse, to where we have shed our own blood, have we? Because typically what happens is we either resist it or we give in. Or we deal with suffering and we quit. Go back to verse 3. Notice what it says. See that? We consider Christ when we deal with opposition so that we don't grow weary and lose heart. Many of us in this room, as we begin to flex our spiritual muscle, find out that it's difficult or we experience suffering and temptation, and we quit. Y'all been there before, right? Because I have, right? So the question is, what is God doing in this suffering? Is there something more to it? And the answer is very simple but hard to put your brain around. We have to understand that God has a perspective and a purpose that is far greater than our plans. You understand that? Every morning we wake up with a plan. And about two minutes into our day, that plan begins to fall apart. Y'all with me on that? Every day we have these different, different milestones we want to hit. But every day, none of us accomplishes everything, right? When it comes to life, when it comes to suffering, when it comes to circumstances, when it comes to temptation, we have to understand something that God's perspective and purpose is far greater than any plan that you and I could ever come up with. Now, the thing we have to begin to gather in and put in our brain cells this morning is how does that flesh out in our own lives personally? Because we all deal with suffering, whether it's self-inflicted, whether it's inflicted by someone else, or whether it's just life. We all deal with temptation. How is God using that? Because when we don't understand that, the reality is we can get really bitter. Y'all been there before? We can get really mad. And while I'm not going to try to explain away your own specific uh, issue or own specific hardship, what I am going to try to do this morning as I relate it to myself and try to explain it from the text is help us gather in what the people who are being written to from this off the book of Hebrews were trying to, what he was trying to really prepare them for and help them understand is that God's purpose and plan works in a very specific way. So the question we're going to be chasing is how does it work? Notice what happens here. Go to verse 5. Get this. And we're going to go all the way to verse 17. So I'm going to talk even faster. We had several baptisms. The clock says I have 20 minutes, and you think you're going to get out in this. All right, here we go. Get this. And have you completely forgotten? Stop. Don't even read anything else. 
Remember, these people were formerly Jewish. They were explained some things. In fact, we're going to read a, a passage from Proverbs here that the author quotes in verse 5 and 6. But I want to remind you guys, have you completely forgotten the grace of God and His righteousness that He imputes into your life when you ask Jesus to come into your life as you experience suffering? Have we completely forgotten His promises? Well, here's a better, here's a better question. Do you not know? Because many times we follow Christ in ignorance, not in knowledge, right? So here, let's, let's, begin to, let's begin to look at this passage because the people he's writing to, he's saying, have you completely forgotten what God said in the Old Testament? Read this. And have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? And he quotes Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. It says, my son, do, make, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he what? Oh, it's a big one right there. Don't, loot, don't read past that. The Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone who accepts his son. Now let's kind of tear this apart for a moment and understand what's happening. Go back to verse 5 and 6. Notice what it happens here. We're going to go halfway down, and let's, let's pick up to where he begins to quote Proverbs chapter 3. Get this. My son, do, you not, make, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Now, when I hear the word discipline, this is what I hear. I'm in trouble, right? Because when I got disciplined growing up, there was a whooping coming, right? Y'all with me on this? Y'all understand this, right? When I was disciplined, it was about corrective discipline. And there's a part of that in Scripture. And there are many times when we do things wrong where we need to be punished. As a parent, my children mess up, and I discipline them. Because that's what being a good parent does, kids, okay? Now, when we read this verse here, he's not simply talking about corrective discipline. In fact, that would be the last thing he's talking about. He's talking about discipline from the point of view to where we are trained and taught at the same time as we go through life. And so a good God, a good parent, disciplines their children every day by training them and teaching them. You follow me on this? This is important to understand because many times as we go through suffering, we look at God and go, we hate you, we're mad at you. Why did you cause this to come upon me, right? Uh, I'm, my daughter's in the room. I'm going to pick on her for a minute. I love her so much, but uh, I love you, baby. But sometimes when she gets mad at us as we discipline her, and I don't know if your kids have said this, one of the things she'll say is this, why do you hate me? You ever said that to God? Why do you hate me? Why am I going through this? I mean, do you even love me? Go back to the verse. Notice what happens here. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Be mindful. He is, he is telling this to a church that's lost everything. They have been killed for their faith. They've lost their homes, their jobs, everything. And he goes to the next verse. And I want you, this is so good. Get this next verse. And he quotes verse 12 here in Proverbs 3. Because the Lord disciplines the one he what? Loves. Do we realize that discipline is love? You got to get that. And it's not just corrective. It's watch out here or go in this direction. Discipline is a good thing. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Now read a little further here. 
I want you to understand, it's, it's so rich. I wish I had more time. Get this. Verse 7, because here is the pivotal point in this text, and then there's another one in verse 12 and 13. Endure hardship as discipline. Stop there. This is so important. God's not saying, I'm a genie in a bottle, and if you make a wish, if you pray to me the right way, I'm going to answer your prayer and take you out of this situation. Listen to me. Life happens. It's just suffering's going to happen. You're going to be rejected, just like Christ was. You're going to be treated poorly. And while we blame God for things, and listen to me, God is big enough to take your blame, all right? I want you to understand that. God is big enough for you to scream at him. But what I want you to begin to put in your mind, and this is how he's making us stronger, is simply this. As we go through, and this hits home to so many in this room, does it not? As we go through life, endure that hardship as God teaching and training you. You hear that? Endure it as discipline. As you deal with these difficult situations, as you deal with people's rejection, as you deal with grief, as you deal with questions, as you deal with everything begins to fall out of your life, the author is saying this, remember Scripture. Remember what God said in Proverbs. Endure it and take it as God teaching and training you. God is making you better. He is shaping you because as we live life in this vapor, and the Bible says life is like a breath, like a vapor from your breath, it's that quick. Understand that the redemptive purposes of God mean you get eternity of joy. Get that? But as you deal with this vapor here, as you deal with life, everything's falling apart. Endure it like Christ endured it as his love and encouragement and training in your life. Now, there's a little bit more to this. Is this tough to deal with? Everybody, I mean, this is tough. Isn't it? But let's, let's deal with this a little further here in Scripture. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. Praise God, right? Because if you weren't his kid, he wouldn't be training you and teaching you. Do you see how that works? I have kids, and if I cared nothing for them, I would let them put the fork in the electric socket. Why? But God cares, and he uses these difficulties, and he disciplines us and teaches us and trains us and corrects us because we're his. Read a little further. Endure hardship is discipline. God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone ever undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. Not as daughters, not as sons. Verse 9, moreover, we have, had, have, have all had human fathers. Now stop here. Some of you have had great fathers. Some of you have had poor fathers. Some of you are being great fathers. Some of you are being terrible fathers. That hit home a little bit, right? But regardless, you have a loving father who loves you enough to discipline you. To train you. Now get a little further here. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Nobody's looking to get whooped, all right? Right? I didn't come home and say, Dad, I've had a great day. Will you just whip me? What's wrong with that? I mean, nobody does that. Discipline is unpleasant. And the discipline of training and teaching is unpleasant. Very few people go, I can't wait for my final exam this week. 
Nobody really does that. There's a, there's a couple of weird people out there in this room, but most people don't. Nobody is excited about this typically. But let's, let's, let's go a little further. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Let's go back. There's three words I want you to get. Let's put that verse back on the screen. Get, didn't get to do this in the 930s, but it produce, produces a harvest of righteousness, meaning you're going to do the right thing, and peace, which means you feel the right thing, for those who have been what? Trained. You see that? Discipline. Now go to verse 12. Therefore, when you're dealing with hardship, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. That comes from Isaiah. And then make level your paths for feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather what? Okay, here we go. You just answered your own question. Here's the deal. When we refuse God's discipline, when we refuse to see God working in our suffering, we refuse healing. You see that? Let's go back to the last verse, verse 13. He says, make level your path for your feet, meaning live right. We'll get to that in a minute. So that the lame, those of us that are broken, those of us that are hurting, may, be, may not be disabled, meaning we don't stay in the same place, but rather are what? Healed. Now, we're not going to do what some of the false preachers and prophets do on TV and call you up to be healed. But there is a spiritual and inward healing that God does in your life when you submit back to him and say, Lord, I hate the discipline, I hate the suffering, but I trust you in it. You follow that? I have nothing left. I am broken beyond belief. But I believe you can do something here. I believe you can fix me. I believe you can heal me. Now, as we kind of tear this apart and walk through this, there's three things that God is doing in our suffering. The first one is this, is that during our suffering, as we read from this text, God is drawing us closer. Now, you have two choices as you go through difficulty. You can run toward God or away from God. But being God's child, my encouragement to you, if you know Jesus, is to run toward God. And as we go through difficulty, draw closer to Him. Make sense? God does something unique to where we find our peace and our understanding and our hope in Him as we suffer. Hardship does that to us. My wife and I, uh, today is a very special day. Uh, my wife and I are celebrating 18 years of being married today. Yeah. You need to go. You need to go. My wife's sitting in the back. She's the prettiest one in the room. Uh, her name is Sarah Beth. I am blessed beyond measure to have this woman as my wife. She has stuck with me. And, and honestly, the way you congratulate her uh, for being married to me for 18 years is go up to her and hug her and say, I'm so sorry. You know, she's had to go through a lot with me. And we've, we've had good years and bad years, but there is no better partner that God has created on this planet other than my wife. Uh, I, I love her more today than I did 18 years ago when we said I do. Uh, for me, it's Jesus and then Sarah Beth. I mean, it's just it's, it's that clear for me. Um, and, uh, but there have been some really great years. Uh, and then there's been some very difficult years, very challenging years. And through those challenging years, we've chosen to grow closer, and it's made us stronger. Does that make sense? Now, there's two thoughts I want to give you on this. The first thought is this, is the if you're married, do not let hardship tear you apart. Come closer together. All right? So some of you need to go home and reevaluate that with your spouse. But number two, 
as you go through those difficult seasons, make the same choice with the Lord. Grow closer to Him. Make sense? Grow closer to Him and no matter what you do. Because what God is doing in our suffering is drawing us close. The second thing is He's showing us love. When we go through difficult periods of time, God is showing us love because He trains us. Does that make sense? If He didn't love us, He would do nothing with your suffering. What kind of sadistic God would that be? Think about it. To let you suffer, to let you be in pain, but do nothing with it? Listen, your suffering and my suffering is not meaningless. It is making us stronger. God is doing something with that, and he is loving you through that. Just as he loved Jesus through the cross, he's loving you through the cross that you have to carry. The third thing is this, is he's affirming your salvation. He's letting you know that you know Jesus. Suffering does that. Now I want you to, let's read that back in the text. And I don't want you to confuse something here. The thing I don't want you to confuse is that just because you suffer, you know Jesus. Or just because you suffer, you know God. Or just because you pray, you know God. That's, that's not it. Because every 100% of the people ever born are suffering. Okay? Everybody does. Everybody's going to go through hardship. The difference is, is who carries you through and how you come out on the other end. I want you to notice something. Is that through our suffering, God's doing something very familiar and very promising here. Notice what happens here. Verse 8, if you are not disciplined, everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. Not true sons and daughters at all. Get that? He's affirming that you're his. And that's a powerful thing that God does in our lives. It doesn't mean that it's going to hurt less, but it means he hurts with you. You have a God that suffered just like you and I suffered. Do you submit to that? You have God that's been, listen, you deal with rejection issues? Your God has been rejected. You deal with you deal with sickness or pain issues physically? Your God's been in pain. You deal with financial issues? Your Jesus is homeless. You deal with relationship issues? His best friends betrayed him. We can keep going, right? Your God knows how you feel. And not only knows how you feel, walks with you through it. Don't you ever, ever make light of your suffering. Now, as we boil this down, I want you to come back to the very end here. Go to verse 12. Therefore, he's showing you love. He's affirming your salvation. He's he's drawing you close. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. That is not an act of worship. That is an act of hope. Lord, strengthen us. Give us hope. Stand up straight again. As you're weary, as you're losing heart, going all the way back to verse 3, where it says, don't lose heart, don't grow faint, don't grow weary. He's saying, strengthen your feeble arms, strengthen your weak knees. Stand up straight because there is hope. There is hope in this suffering. There is purpose. There's perspective in this suffering. And then later on, he says this, make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, so that you can experience. So here's how we're going to deal with this in this last part this morning. How do we experience that healing? As we go through the suffering, how do we begin to see God's purpose and perspective in this to where he begins to change us? Are you all with me on this? Because this is what we really want to know. Well, I'm going to give you two thoughts here because he says this in verse 14. Make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Your action step is this. 
choose peace over people. And what I mean by that is this. So many of us in this room have been affected by people and their sin, right? Every one of us in this room. But when we choose to peace, when we choose to rely upon the Lord and be at peace with other people, there's a little bit of healing that begins to work in our lives. When we choose forgiveness rather than bitterness, when we choose to be at peace with others rather than to be a waging war with them, when we choose to be healthy relationally regardless of other relationships in our life, God begins to do a work, y'all. And the healing begins to happen and you begin to see your purpose in suffering. And so for many of us in this room this morning, we need to understand that God is showing us an extraordinary amount of love through our suffering by saying, here's your answer. The person that hurt you, be at peace with that and forgive them. That is so challenging to do because so many of us, over the four or 500 people that's walked on campus this morning, here's the deal. Many of us in this room have been so deeply wounded by people that there is no way forgiveness can happen. But hear me on this. When we choose not to forgive, we choose to swallow poison in an effort to kill the other person. Don't let bitterness happen. God is showing you love. Number two here is this. Choose Christ over your circumstances. Notice what happens in the next verse here. We don't have a lot of time to dissect this, but there's so much meat and taters in this. Get this. Verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The bitter root is this. Your circumstances... You're looking and grasping for straws for other things, right? And the bitterness that begins to boil up causes us to follow a pathway of idolatry instead of following Christ. And I'm not talking about idolatry like we're going to carve out some statue and put it in the middle of our living room and sing to it every day. When I say anything that you build above God, and that bitterness begins to weep. Many of us, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? We've allowed that bitterness to spring up in our life, and it just devastates us spiritually. And there's no healing in that. It's continually being lamed and disabled spiritually. That's not what God wants. He wants you to get stronger. Therefore, don't let the bitterness happen. Don't let the bitterness happen. We're not going to go in the last two verses here, but understand here, there are countless people in Scripture, like Esau, as we see in the next two verses, who chose a physical, chose a physical need to gratify him immediately rather than a spiritual longevity to change him completely. You and I need to choose Christ over our circumstances. God has a purpose in this suffering, and you can heal. Many times, we don't know what those purposes are. Many times, we don't know what that perspective is until we fully lay ourselves at the feet of the cross and say, God, change me. Now, let me end with this. Several months ago, uh, somebody in our church gave me a video. There's a book as well called, called The Insanity of God. I encourage you to watch this video. Uh, I, 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 I learn more by listening and hearing rather than reading. But there's a book for those of you who are more like readers. All my coloring books are full, and so I now watch videos, right? But uh, watching this video, um, there's a story, of, and it's really about different Christians around the world that dealt with suffering and how they overcame it and how God used it. But there was a specific story that spoke to me by a guy named Dmitry. Dmitry was a Russian in the former Soviet Union. He was a Christ follower, and he decided one day that he needed to pray uh, and encourage his kids and teach them to read Scripture. So every night, him and his family, his two sons and his wife, would sit down and pray and read the Bible together. But people began to hear about what Dimitri was doing. Now, there's no churches. Christianity as a whole was something that was outlawed and looked down upon. 
And so other people came secretly to him and said, Demetri, teach me this Bible. And so he says, I'm not a pastor. I said, it doesn't matter. You understand it better than we. And so a couple people would join him at lunch, supper, a few more. Finally, about 60 people were joining him to have church every night. Now think about this. Christianity is outlawed. Now here's what happened next. KGB got wind of it. One night during a house church service, they stormed and dug off Dimitri away from his family and sent him to Siberia in prison for 23 years for being a Christian, for having a church like we're doing right now. It's devastating. His family has no income. He was just a peasant farmer anyway. And he's stuck in this prison in Siberia with the worst criminals in the world. These aren't people who are Christians. These are the worst type of criminal. And so every morning, the the cell door would face the windows, and the sun would rise, and he would get up, and he would raise his hands up like this. And in Russian, he would sing a worship song, his heart song, and it basically was translated, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. First morning he gets up, you can imagine the ridicule. 6 a.m., this Christian gets up in this prison filled with all these robbers and rapists and murderers, and he stands up and sings, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. Can you imagine the ridicule, guys? Terrible. So every week, the guards would come in and beat him. It was a regular thing. If he could remember scripture, he would write it on a piece of toilet paper and put it at the top of the wall as far as he could so he could read it and try to remember it so he could give some kind of hope. And every morning, sing that song. The guards couldn't break him. They would beat him, they would torture him, but nothing would happen. He would continue to sing. He would continue to read. He would continue to pray. Until one day they disguised a woman as his wife and drug her by his cell room door, took her to the next room, beat her, and as he's sitting there listening to his screams, he finally heard the scream stop and they killed her and they drug her back by. Thinking that it was his wife, he was completely broken. He says, I deny Christ. I deny Christ. Bring me the paperwork. I will sign the paperwork. I will never worship again, and I will be free, and I'll go home and take care of my sons. So the next morning, they walk into his cell to give him the paperwork, but something miraculous had had that night as he was praying. He saw a vision that his wife was praying for him at the same time and realized his wife was alive. And he recommitted his life to Christ, and they brought the paperwork in and said, okay, sign it, Demetri. And he says, I will never sign that. I follow Jesus. And singing his song, he continued. The guards beat him, and they said, well, you follow Jesus. You're about to meet him. And so they drug him out of his jail cell down the hallway out into the courtyard of the place, and they were going to put him on a post and kill him. But as they were dragging him down the row of jail cells, all of a sudden, in the midst of this prison filled with the worst people in the, on the planet, here comes this song, Jesus is Alive, where thousands of men, impacted by this one Christian, singing in unison, Jesus is Alive, Jesus is Alive, Jesus is Alive. They put him back in his cell, and a few years later they released him for him to join his family. And God did a work in his life. Why did I tell you that story? If God can use the suffering of a peasant farmer in a prison in Siberia where he doesn't even own a Bible to do a work of revival, he can use your suffering for his purposes to do things that you can't even imagine in your home, in your life, in your workplace, and in your school. God is showing you love. God is demonstrating you're his child. And God is drawing you close. The question is, will you step toward him and let the healing begin? Y'all with me on that? Will you begin to let God do something? This morning, some of you are here, you've never asked Christ to come into your life. 
you don't know what it means, even in the midst of that suffering, that God has a plan for that because you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart. And today's the day where you transition from being a sinner to a saint. And the way I'm going to ask you to do that is on the Connect card that you're given, there's a box that says, today's the first time I asked Jesus to come into your life, to my life. And if that's you, check the box. If you need to be baptized to make your profession of faith public, check that box. But for others of you in this room, here's the thing. And here's what I'm asking you to do. It's very difficult if you're a believer here this morning. We'll get to those of you who don't know Christ. But here's what's difficult this morning if you are a believer. There are some people in your life that you've got to forgive in order to grow stronger spiritually. Will you begin to take the step of faith and see God's love shine? He forgave us for our sin, and you begin to release it and find peace. And so you need to begin to work through that process of forgiveness. And for others of us in this room, we need to begin to work through that process of saying, God, I want to draw close to you, and I want to keep quit playing with my faith here and make it real. And if that's you this morning, you need to take those steps of faith. Either get a phone call on the, from a pastor or one of our pastors here on staff, they're on your Connect card, join a life group, or we'll do whatever God is calling you to do. Begin to take these steps of faith out of bitterness and into light. Y'all with me on that? Let's begin to do that this morning. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would work in my friends' lives here, that you begin to show them your love through suffering, that you begin to show them your purpose and perspective through grief, and that you begin to move in their lives and change them radically, and that you have healing for them in Jesus, that you have peace. And I pray, God, that you would move. I pray, God, that you would bless. And I pray, God, that you would begin to do a work and that you would change them completely. Make us stronger, Lord. In your precious and powerful name I pray. Amen.